0: Welcome to the New Hope Podcast. Our mission at New Hope is to engage our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time. We pray this message encourages you in encountering God's love and displaying it to your city. We hope to see you soon. If you're new, we're continuing in a series that we're simply calling The Story of Scripture all throughout 2020 as we read the Bible together in the one-year reading. And then as we read it day by day together, I'm preaching and whoever's preaching, we're preaching through the text, we're preaching through um, just whatever we're reading. That way we can study it together, we can walk through it together. In a couple of weeks, I already mentioned next week what we're going to do. We're going to come out of a series for a little bit. But the week following, a pastor friend of mine, Ed Moore, will be here preaching through the book of Ruth. Excited about that. He's a local pastor who's been faithfully preaching and pastoring here in Queens for over 25 years. And so I'm grateful for him to come and... Uh, open god's word with us but we're going to continue in this so we're in joshua and if you're in the one you're reading we're going to get to joshua at the beginning of this week you haven't gotten to it yet you're finishing up deuteronomy and so uh, i'm going to kind of give an overview at the beginning and then just dive into the end of the story just dive into the ending of joshua so that you kind of have the lens in which to look at the book of the bible as we read it together and so joshua literally means the lord will save In Greek, it's the name that is equivalent with Jesus. And so think about this. Jesus, his, his name is Joshua, but just from going from Hebrew to Greek and then from Greek to Latin and then from Latin to English, it gets changed from Joshua to Jesus. So I'm not saying Jesus is wrong. Jesus is absolutely the name. But the point is... That the angel, when Mary got pregnant, said, "You will name his name Joshua." Jesus. It's very intentional that he, the angel, could have chosen to name him after any character in the Old Testament, but it's very intentional that he named him not after the person of Joshua, but for the sake of what Joshua means, which is actually how Joshua uh, uses uh, is is used within the Book of Joshua as one who saves, as one who leads people to to safety and to conquer in the promise. Uh, land. And so that's what it means, the Lord will save. And it's a story of Joshua. The, the Joshua, the book is a story of God's people coming into the promised land. And so the people of God claimed the inheritance of God as God had promised them. These three verses, and I just want to read Joshua 21, 43 through 45. It's just uh, kind of, if you flip a page back over, uh, 21, 43 through 45, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there, and the Lord gave them the rest, or, or excuse me, gave the rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed, all came to pass. We see a picture as we read the story of Joshua It is a story of God fulfilling his promises that he gave generations before that I will make sure to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your offspring, your people, your family will come into the promised land and they will have peace and they will have rest. Now we've seen the story as we've been reading come the fact that they were in slavery and they come out of slavery and all the journey that they've been on and we get to the end of Joshua and they enter into a season of rest. They see that God is faithful to their word. He has not left them alone, nor does he leave us alone, as we begin to already think about the application. He is not going to fail on any of his promises and scripture specifically says in the Corinthians that all of God's promises are yes in Christ, yes and amen in Jesus. And so we can see as we read the story of Joshua that gives us great hope as God's covenant people that he is faithful to his promises no matter how long it takes for that promise to be fulfilled. And I say that because a lot of times we may feel that God's given us a promise and we just go, but God, why isn't it happening in my life? Why I believe you've given me a promise that? That whatever it may be, but it's not happening. And I know that's exactly what the people of God would grumble about. But Joshua is making it very clear through his story and through this book that God is faithful to his word. If he says it, it will happen. Now I want to draw some connections back to the very first week. Then when we looked at Genesis chapter 1, just the power of God's word. When God speaks, God does something. In in philosophy, this is something called speech act theory. Speech act theory is the belief that when people say something, they're not just saying something, they're doing something. To give an example of how this works on a human level, that as a pastor, and I stand before someone over a wedding ceremony, and I stand before a couple, that in this moment that I say, I pronounce you husband and wife, I am saying something. But I'm also doing something. Something is happening legally. Something is happening in that moment where two people become legally married. See, my words aren't just saying something. They're doing something. Now, this is just a practical at the human level. But when it comes to who God is and his power and his characteristics, his word is always in action. When he says it, he does it. When he speaks to create, that was how he chose to create. And so when God gives a promise, a promise, when he speaks a truth, it is fulfilled. It is a guarantee because when God says something, he is also doing something. It is a guarantee. We saw this in our study when we were in Numbers. When God spoke a blessing, what did we say? That God wasn't just giving a promise of, or a, a, a wish of goodwill, but he was a giving a, a promise that he would do something. In Genesis chapter 1, 27, God created us in his image and then verse 28 simply said that he commanded us, he blessed us and commanded us to multiply. And we saw that that was a command that was guaranteed to be simply fulfilled because God blessed it and said it would happen. And so when God speaks, it happens. Some practical advice as we study the book of Joshua, that this is a book that would be wise to read with a map beside you if possible. Right. If you have a Bible that has a map in the back, go ahead and kind of like not now, but when you're reading through it and you're one you're reading, just kind of if you find a map that kind of shows you the region well, and just kind of hang on to it, it would be helpful because they're going to give a lot of names. It's going to give a lot of territories and be helped to give a visual. If you do not have that or you don't have a one that you really like, Google has it. I'm sure. Google. What you need to do: Google a map of. Um, um, the area during Joshua's time, however you want to say that, and I promise you, you can find a good map, and I'll even see if I can find a resource for you and share it throughout the week. And, but no, this is something a map would be helpful. So let me kind of give you the progression of the book. Is First, they cross into the promised land. Okay, We see a moment where they cross over the river into the promised land in chapter 1 and explained in the following chapters. Second, they take the promised land. So they not only cross into it, but they conquer it. They take it. Once they get there, they take the land, and Joshua begins the story, of the first battle at Jericho. It's a famous story. It's a great story. All of them particularly are, but we see with Jericho. And I want to answer a question. One of the questions, um, just in general with Jericho, why did God give a command that they must destroy everything and take nothing from it? You'll notice that when they conquer other places, they can take the gold, and they can take this or they can take that and they're allowed to do those things. But when it comes to Jericho, they're not allowed to take anything. And actually, there was one person who did take something. And because of that sin, the next time they went to battle, they lost the battle because God did not bless them because one person disobeyed this command and he took what he should not have taken. And why is it that God called Jericho for you, for the people to take nothing? And here's the principle that we talked about when we were in Exodus. The principle of first fruits in Exodus We asked the question, why was it with the 10th plague that the firstborn was sacrificed? And we tried to give an explanation of how we see a picture that the first of everything of yours belongs to the Lord. And we saw this, how the firstborn son represented the family as a first unto God, which is why God, we see a picture of Abraham and Isaac and that sacrifice and God's miraculous saving of that sacrifice. But then through the Ten Commandments, uh, I mean, excuse me, then through the Exodus with the tenth plague, the first belonged to the Lord. And we saw a picture of that. Well, we see a picture of that again here with Jericho. Is The point is, is I'm giving you the promised land. God is saying, I'm giving you, my people, the promised land. But the first conquering everything is to be devoted unto me. And it's this picture that the first of all that God gives us is a blessing unto him. This is one of the reasons to why we faithfully say that we need to give of our time, our talents, and our treasures unto the Lord. And we don't give leftovers, but we give the first fruits of our blessing unto the Lord. We see this with Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. Why was uh, one brother's Offering accepted and the others wasn't. Why? Because Abel's offering was a first fruits of what he had. He gave the best unto the Lord where Cain did not. And we see because of that, Cain goes on to kill his brother. There's this picture that I want us to see this theme coming about again that the first of what God gives us, the best of what God gives us, is to the Lord. And so when we talk about serving the city, when we talk about loving the city, when we talk about serving and loving one another, This is not, and I encourage you, that this is not something we do if we have extra time. But this is something we do as the church. This is something we do as the body of Christ to say, God, the first of all that I have, my time, my talents, my treasures are given unto you. And we see that with the story of Jericho. So the people of God, they cross into the promised land. They take the promised land. Um, Third, they divide the promised land. Once they've conquered it, we see Joshua give a description of how they divided amongst the people. And then finally, they serve. In the last few chapters, they serve, they cross, they take, they divide, and then they serve God and they serve people within this land. This is where you see Joshua at the end of his life, at the end of his journey, coming to our text in Joshua chapter 24, Where he makes this statement, choose today whom you will serve. And so with that being said, Joshua chapter 24, we're going to begin reading in verse 14. If you're simply there with me this afternoon, would you say amen? Joshua 24, beginning in verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and then serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When we begin to think about just the story of Joshua and how it ends, I want us to give a picture of what we just simply even studied in Deuteronomy. Last week, we studied in Deuteronomy this picture of of Moses at the end of his life. He was given a sermon to the people. He was given his last message to the people. And what was the challenge that he gave them? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And he gave a challenge to teach and to communicate God's word and to study God's word and to be what? Faithful to God and His word. Notice, a generation later, Joshua, the great leader, his last message is essentially the same. He says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. See, there's a challenge there to serve the Lord, but there's also a clear way of how you are to serve the Lord. It says you are to serve the Lord in sincerity and faithfulness. When we begin to think about this, two simple truths, if you're just writing some notes tonight. The first is, God is calling us to loyalty, and here's the truth. Loyalty requires uncompromised surrender. Loyalty requires uncompromised surrender. He says, "'Put away the gods of your fathers that served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord.'" He's saying, before God called you out of Egypt and called you into the Exodus and made his covenant with you at Mount Sinai, which is pictured in Exodus 19 and 20, before he did that, you lived in a pagan world and you lived out in pagan traditions, even even in slavery. And we understand when we studied Abraham, when God called Abraham out in Genesis chapter 12, that Abraham lived in a pagan culture and lived in a polytheistic culture. Polytheistic meaning many gods' culture. He worshipped many gods. And God called him from worshipping the gods of pagan culture to the one true God of Israel. And now Joshua is giving a command to the people for the next generation to continue to do the same. Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers, Serve beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And here's where we get this uncompromised surrender is that um, Joshua is making it very clear. If you choose whom you will serve and if you serve the Lord, you must serve him alone. There's not a picture of I'm surrendered to the Lord in some compromised ways. I will serve the Lord 90% of the time. You know, but I still really like this one thing about my life before God called me to himself. And I just want to hang on to that part. And so this little idol of mine I'll keep, but I'll give God 90%. Or or I'll give God even less, or whatever it may be. And Joshua is saying, no, if you want to serve the Lord, because he is a jealous God, and we talked about what does it mean, the fact that God is jealous. It means that he loves us and forgives much. But because he is jealous, he is calling us and requires loyalty and faithfulness. That if I love my wife, the fact that I'm a jealous for my wife means I love her and call her and desire for her to be faithful and vice versa. If I didn't want her to be faithful, then I don't really love her. I don't really care what she does. But because I love her, I am calling her to uncompromise faithfulness in our covenant relationship. And it's no different in our covenant relationship with God that he, Joshua, is saying, if you are going to serve the Lord, then you must put away all your other gods and you must serve him. And if you think that you shouldn't do that, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, meaning if you don't desire to do that, if that's not the option you choose, fine. But if choose whom you will serve, whether it be the gods of your fathers in the region beyond the river, that's before they crossed the Jordan, or let it be the gods of the Amorites, But Joshua is saying, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I want to be clear what this is not saying. This is not saying the options are equal. Choose God and nothing else, or choose something else and not God. doesn't really matter. Just pick one. No, no, no. Not quite equal. The point isn't going, here's two good options and choose one. It's clearly one is the right option, one is the wrong option, the point of him giving the contrast is not to say they're equal options, but it is to say that you must choose completely besides one or the other. You can't have one foot here and one foot here. Either you're all in with God or you're all in not with God. But let's be clear, if you're not all in with God, you're, you're by default all in not with God. You can't go, I'm all in with God and kind of keep a toe over here. He's going, that's not all in because God expects complete surrender. We say it here at New Hope that one of the marks of maturity is that we live surrendered to the lordship of Jesus surrendered that he is king he's not just king on sunday or monday or to he is king all the days of my life i bow and i surrender to him he is king and joshua is going you choose either between god as king god of israel that you choose the god of the bible as king and you serve him holy and faithfully uncompromised in all that you are and do or you just be honest with yourself and admit that you're not serving him at all see because god's a jealous god He expects faithfulness from us. And Joshua, and the story of Joshua, and the challenge for us even today is whom will you serve? And recognize that God is not just an option. This is not a buffet line where you choose a little bit of God and a little bit of something else. It's not even a buffet line in the sense of God's the healthy item on the line, and the other things are more desirous but not healthy. It's not even that. It's going, this, there's not an option. It is God, and God is everything. And it's not, and here's the here's the beauty of this, is that... Is not only he the only option, not only is he the right option, but he is the healthy and the good thing on the buffet line to use that illustration. He is the good thing for us and he is, if we knew it, what our hearts are really wanting and longing for. That God created us for himself and we are satisfied fully in him and him alone. But we must choose whom we will serve and we must be honest with ourselves that if we are not all in with God, then we are not in with God at all. If we are not all in with God, we are not in with God at all. And recognizing that because he loves us, he calls us to that covenant faithfulness. And Joshua's going, hey, choose whom you will serve. In the days to come, choose whom you will serve. And then verse 16, they get into a little argument that I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for. And he says this, then the people answered, far be it from us uh, that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. They're going, we wouldn't do that. We're not going to do that. Of course we're going to serve the Lord. For it is the Lord our God who brought us up out and who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all that we want and among all the peoples from whom we passed. They're giving the right answer. They're recognizing, hey, look, you know, I can choose between the God of the Bible or the little G gods of this world you know, that that the other cultures worship. And they're going, of course we're going to serve and be faithful to the God of the Bible because look what He's done for us. He is the victorious one. This is going really great so far. Verse 18, And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. Listen to what Joshua says. But Joshua said to the people, You're not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Okay, we got to unpack this a little bit. Verse 20 If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. And he said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. Truth number two, which will help us unpack this confusing somewhat text from the surface is simply this. Truth number one, loyalty requires uncompromised surrender. Truth number two, surrender is evidenced in our obedience, not our confessions surrender is evidenced in our obedience, not our confessions. How do we see this? Well, Joshua looks at them and goes, no, nope, you can't serve the Lord. Nope, you can't do it. And in fact, he's not going to forgive you for your sins. Hold on a second. What do you mean he's not going to forgive us for our sins? But go on. Let me unpack and it will help give, explain. Verse 20. If you forsake the Lord and serve the foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you. After doing you good. And people said, no, but we will serve the Lord. Here's the statement. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. He's saying, you say that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. But you are witnesses against your own statement. And they said, we are witnesses. You're right. Meaning our actions, our testimony to what we really believe. And then Joshua gets to the heart of the matter. Then put away the foreign gods that are among you. And incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. Here, here's, he's unpacking even more so truth number one. Here's what he's saying is, you say you'll worship the Lord. And you say you're all in with the Lord. And you're saying the right things. You're giving the right confessions. Yes, he's the one who brought you out of Egypt. Yes, he's done this. Yes, he's done that for you. But you can't serve the Lord. And he's not going to continue to forgive your sins. As long as you continue to be witnesses or give testimony against yourself, your actions are given testimony against you, what and how are they giving testimony? And he gets at it at the heart when he says this, then put away your foreign gods. Point is, at this moment in this conversation, Joshua was well aware that the people were saying with their confessions, we will serve the Lord, but they still had secret idols they were not putting away. And Joshua is calling them out. He's saying, you say the right things, you say you're surrendered, but you're witnessing against yourself. Your lack of obedience to fully commit to the loyalty of God and his word is a witness against you in your actions because you still have idols amongst you that you're not getting rid of. And this passage is challenging because it's pushing past the surface answer That so often, if we've grown up in Christianity or been around Christianity long enough to go, yeah, I serve the Lord. I've been serving the Lord for 20 years. He's done great things for me. And are unwilling to do a deep reflection on the reality of how our lives might be witnessing and revealing idols in our heart that are ultimately causing us to be unfaithful to God in certain areas. Which is why, truth number two, surrender is evidenced in our obedience and not our confessions. I heard someone say it this way to me once, is that good intentions never change the world. Meaning, they had great intentions. Yeah, we're going to serve the Lord. Yeah, we'll give great confessions to serve the Lord. But their confession and their just good intention wasn't enough. But their life must walk that out. And so Joshua, in this moment, when he says, choose whom you'll serve, and they go, we'll serve the Lord. And he goes, you can't serve the Lord. I don't believe it's an absolute statement here, saying it's impossible, so don't even try. He's saying that where you are now, you are, cannot serve the Lord while you still have other idols in your life. In the state that you are, you cannot serve the Lord. Recognizing they are saying, I will serve the Lord. But Joshua's going, you still got idols. You've got idols you're not getting rid of. You cannot serve the Lord in that situation. And you cannot and will not have your sins forgiven in that situation. So when it says the statement... You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. This speaking to His jealousy, that service requires 100% of our faithfulness and loyalty to Him. He wants all of us, not just part of us. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. This is not an absolute statement, saying that God will not forgive us. Because all of Scripture is a story of how God is forgiving us. And we see how Christ is the answer to that, how because of Christ's death and resurrection, that He, through that, our sins can be forgiven, when what? We surrender to Him as Lord. So it's not an absolute statement saying you cannot have your sins forgiven, but it is an absolute statement that you cannot have your sins forgiven as long as you still have idols in your heart and you're unwilling to surrender to the Lord with all that you have. I want to be careful, but I want to be clear. This is why I am careful to say as a pastor and a pr- preacher of God's word that coming into a relationship with God, we can say right things. I- I've spent the majority of my life serving in a very religious culture, in, in a place where people grow up going to church, and it's, it's just it's all they know. It- it's become ingrained in them, and it can be so, not f- yeah, faked. It-, it can just be just part of who we are, but there's no heart to it. And so there's an intentionality there to go, yeah, I confess Jesus is Lord. Yes, I've done these things. Yes, I've been baptized. Yes, I've done certain things. Yes, I've said certain things. I've even prayed a prayer multiple times. Which all those things are evidence of someone who truly surrenders to the Lord. Yes, but the heart of the matter is, is who or what is your heart serving? Choose whom you will serve. And the question isn't, have you said the right thing? The question is, is your heart truly surrendered to the Lord? Live surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. And Joshua is making that evidently clear here in this moment. As he's calling them out for going, you're saying the right thing, but your witnesses, your life is witnessing against your statements. Actions speak louder than words. And Joshua is calling them out. And the challenge for us as people who I pray, I know from my life the challenge, here's where it hits home, is I, like the people that Joshua is speaking to have seen God do incredible things in my life. If you were to come to my house, or specifically upstairs into my office, you're going to see some things on my bookshelf that are not books. And you're like, "That's kind of odd. Why do you have a napkin with something written on it framed? Not, not kind of an ideal thing." You're like. It's not an autograph from someone famous, you know. And so why do you have that framed? Why do you have a pair of baby shoes there? Why do you have a cup? Why do you have these pictures? Why are they there? And let me tell you why they're there. Because all of them are pillars of reminding me of something God has done incredibly miraculous in my life. Right? And so I can look literally at reminders, rightfully so, of what God has done in my life. And that does not that does not excuse me from what John Calvin would say, that our hearts are idol factories, that our naturally the sinful nature within us, even as redeemed covenant people of God, create idols naturally with our hearts. It's instinctual, it's what we do. And in fact, the more that God's done for me, the more I often can take it for granted and the more likely I am to get apathetic and allow other idols to take root in my heart. And I need this passage of scripture for Joshua to call me out and go, Jonathan, you're saying you love the Lord. You're saying that he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which he is. But he's going, but Jonathan, there's this, there's this area in your life that's still an idol, meaning you're You're trusting it over trusting God. And this might hit home a little bit, even of what we talked about with just what's going on in our city. That, yes, I want to be wise, and I'm so grateful for the. Brilliant men and women who are going to help keep us safe, and I'm grateful for all the things that are going to happen. Do their best to keep our city safe and keep the world safe. I'm grateful for the doctors. I'm grateful for all those things, and I'm going to lean to them, and I'm not going to, you know, ignore any of those things. But the point still simply is, in this season when fear and uncertainty may come in, whether it's this or whether it's something else in your life, what or who do you turn to to trust? Who or what shows in moments of difficulty what idols might pop up, what unhealthy fears it might go see. That's an area you need to surrender to the Lord. So choose whom this day you will serve. The story of Joshua is a great story of God saving and conquering a land for his people. And for us specifically, it's a beautiful picture of this promise that Jesus, remember member named Joshua in Hebrew, is our great conqueror. In the same way that Joshua led the people into a promised land, flowing with milk and honey, where they'd have peace and prosperity for a long time. In the same way, Christ came and he conquered. That Christ came was our great conqueror who then ushers us into our promised land in the new heavens and new earth with him for all eternity. So when we look at the story of Joshua, it's an incredible story of how God is faithful to his people. He is faithful to his covenant. He is faithful to his promises. And there's this picture of a great leader, Joshua, who helps lead the people to conquer. And we see this as Jesus is a picture in the person who is faithful in a fulfillment of the promises of God, and he is our great conqueror who ushers us, his covenant people, into our promised land. Do You see the beautiful picture of this story as it relates to how Christ is redeeming all of his creation, redeeming his covenant people, and is saving us and is giving us a promise. Listen to it. is the beauty of when we look at the moment they come out of Egypt, they do not immediately go into the promised land. We see 40 years of them being exiles. We see 40 years of difficulty. We see 40 years of them having to trust the Lord. We see 40 years of them in a desert. And oftentimes we see Peter play off this idea in 1 Peter in the same way that when Christ redeems us and Christ saves us and he forgives us of our sins in Ephesians 2, he makes us alive with him. He has faithfully taking us out of a slavery. But guess what? We are still exiles on this side as we wander to get to our promised land that Christ is taking us into. Do you see the story of how First Peter would argue that we are exiles? And he's giving this picture that we have been brought out of slavery. Egypt is no longer our home. Our captivity and sin and death is no longer our home. But we have yet to have Jesus return a second time and walk us into our promised land. But... We can see as we look at the story of Joshua that he has promised that he is going to do that. And he is faithful to his promises. Therefore, we can live as exiles. We can live amidst suffering. We can live amidst sickness and death and pain and tragedy. And we can cry out to God and ask God why. But let us choose whom we will serve and wait faithfully for our great conqueror to lead us home. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.